Hi, I'm Eliana Yolcut. And I'm Tova Leibovic Douglas. We are two rabbis and two mothers here to talk finding wisdom in work, parenthood, smashing the patriarchy, and the juggle of the everyday. The Torah we carry in our pockets at home and in the world. Welcome to Not Your Jewish Mother. Welcome, welcome back, listeners. It's Not Your Jewish Mother, Season 2. We are here and ready to go. How's everyone doing today? I don't know how everyone's doing, but I'm doing good. How are you, Tova? This is Eliana from Washington, D.C. Hello. Hello. What's the weather like over there? Oh, my God. It's so humid and hot. It's the worst. You know about me in the summer. We've discussed this many times. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's actually quite humid over here in L.A., which we're not used to over here. We're used to the you know, the dry heat that people like. Yeah. It's quite humid. My hair, I know by my hair being all frizzy <laughs> everywhere. That's how I d- can determine what the humidity level is. Hair has, has weather guide. Yeah. It's actually really interesting. I'm thinking about how hair has totally changed through the pandemic. Like, do you feel that too? Like, what do you, what do you mean? Like hairstyles. Well, hair cutting was a big thing because it was something that we all went out of our houses for. Don't you think? You mean like during the pandemic, it's a big thing? Yeah. Or... It's, yeah. It's been a big thing. I feel like, like how people cut their hair or didn't cut their hair it was in part because if you didn't go to salons during the pandemic, right. what did you do? Not everyone has a surgeon for a spouse who can cut hair. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, yeah, no, we, I mean, I just don't do it so much. But you know, it's really interesting. I think we should actually do an episode on this, Eliana, um, on, on like hair, actually, I think it'd be really interesting. And specifically the salon culture, like, I'm just thinking back, you know, Steel Magnolias style. Have you seen that movie? Do you know what I'm Uh, talking about? Hello. Yes. One of the the greatest tear jerkers (laughs) of all time. (laughs) Exactly. And so, you know, that culture, what is feminine culture? Like, what is that? What is women's space today? Because it's obviously shifted over time and especially now. So I love that'd be this. really interesting. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Listeners, hot off the presses. We're going to do an episode on hair, women's cultural spaces, and like, what does it mean to have gender, single gendered spaces? I love it, Tova. Like, let's put it on our list, on our master Great. list. On our list. All right. Now, now check us in. Okay. All right. Check in. I'm going to share a story. How does that sound? That sounds awesome. Okay. As many listeners know, and you know, Eliana, rabbinical school for me was not the most beautiful, enchanting, soulful, like enriching experiences. (laughs) Yes. It was some of those things, but it was also quite traumatic, specifically surrounding Beit Midrash, traditional learning Jewish text sort of tradition. It was really challenging. I've talked about it last season. We can keep talking about it. But what I want to share is something that's the the flip side of it, which is yesterday I had the privilege to return to our our rabbinical school and to be on this panel. Now, um, listeners, they do this panel for incoming students. They pick a few alumni to come back and sort of share their experience of rabbinical school, share what Rabbi Artson says are um, Torah in the world, right? Like to share it out. Now, I remember <laughs> as um, how many years 
years ago, gosh, it was nine years ago, whenever I was sitting down as an incoming student thinking, wow, like one day I could be one of those people on a panel, one of those rabbis on this panel. And then maybe it was mid-year, year one, where I was like, oh, I will never be <laughs> one of those rabbis on a panel. They'll never ask me to come back because I am the squeaky wheel that is, you know, totally not having a great experience here. And yet, listeners, Eliana, they asked me to return. I didn't understand why. I was a little confused, but I did go. And I will say what was really, there were a lot of beautiful things about it, but The primary one that just really made me feel really whole, and this is really true, I think, about a lot of hard experiences, not all, but time, time has this beautiful way of healing or at least mending or at least making things feel a little less (sighs) sharp. And so when I walked on the campus... I was nervous. And when I sat in front of those incoming students alongside some really awesome colleagues of mine that I was in school with around my teachers who did bear <laughs> bear a lot of my tears and pain during that time, I felt this sense of wholeness that I was sort of seen for my pain and seen for that journey and also seeing myself as a rabbi in spite or because of or somewhere in between of those two things of it all. And I just wanted to share it because I think it's important and something I'm working on doing is to sort of hold on to the good moments and to soften my hard and heart, which can be quite hard sometimes. And I could be quite rigid and to open up to the possibilities that experiences and the experience of the experience can move over time. And, and I'm really grateful for it. So I wanted to share that with anyone out there that is feeling that on an experience that was super challenging, not to say that it's going to be all roses. It's not, it's not like it changed it, but I think that time can heal and mend and help a lot. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Like it's one, one, just like, it's so gorgeous to like, be able to reflect in that way and be able to be honest and vulnerable in that way and share it with uh, me and the listeners. But also like, I'm sorry that you, that it was filled with so much pain, but I'm really glad you persevered. That, that you, <laughs> no, I mean it. Like, I mean, like the Jewish people are better for it. Humanity is better for your presence as a wisdom teacher. And so I'm really grateful because I don't know that we would be doing this if you hadn't been able to get through that. And so I'm grateful for that. And I'm glad they saw you, you as somebody who could like come back and offer that wisdom, even though it also might've been complicated for them, given the circumstances of your experience. And so like on both ends, there, there seems to be some growth there. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. So, and I know our Thank listeners you. are too. Thank you. Thank you're, you. You're welcome. Okay, listeners, that was our sort of touch point story for today. And I'm going to move us into uh, our main topic So Tope and I have been talking a lot over the last few weeks about a major shift that we feel has happened in the last couple of months as the Delta variant of the COVID virus has emerged, as the UN report on the climate crisis came out, as Afghanistan fell to the Taliban when when U.S. troops were withdrawn, as Haiti experienced yet another earthquake. Uh, And I could go on, but I'll stop stop there. Otherwise, I'll start crying. 
Um, and oh. we we have this sense that there is a tremendous amount of confusion and uncertainty. It's certainly for both of us, and we imagine for you, for ev- all of you, especially I think for parents, not just as we think through decision making, though that's definitely there, but really just like the sh- constant shifting of the ground from under our feet. And I think for all of us, that cues a lot of anxiety and a lot of feelings of just being, I don't know if you would describe it this way, Toba, but like a misalignment. Like I just feel out of alignment all the time. Oh yeah, that's a great word for it. Yeah, and so, and I think we've been reading a lot about it too. So I shared with Tova a letter that we received from the camp that our kids are uh, going to this. I've been away at this summer, older two have been away at sleepaway camp. And we received a letter from the director, which I thought was incredibly excellent about the transition back home and some of the emotional experiences that we can expect our kids to have in their consultation with psychologists to help parents and and campers think about what that was going to feel like. And the the shock, and he was just talking about like they entered camp before Delta had like really taken hold and the shock that they're going to feel when they come back and they've been free in this bubble and they're going to like have all these restrictions imposed upon them again. And then also like paired with that, we both read a piece in Medium, which is called A Credo for the Classroom. And it's by Emily Oster, who, yes, listeners, we know some of you don't like her and some of you think she's offensive. She's become a very polarizing figure in, she's an academic from Brown University, but she's become a very polarizing figure, particularly around COVID and school restrictions. I think she might be the most texted about in my many mom chat groups that I'm in. Yeah. (laughs) Academic, I feel like. Actually, I don't know that she really, really thought that this was where she was going (laughs) to land as a professor of economics at Brown. Um, For another time. For For another another time, time. (laughs) if we want to talk about her. But she actually just shares also a letter from a camp director. And she she talks about both the emotional ill-preparedness of campers this year because of what isolation has done to their emotional makeup, the existence of like greater lashing out, greater shutting down, really much more uh, acute experiences of emotional outbursts is how he describes it in the letter to the parents of these of campers. And he talks about parental anger and people being on edge and teachers being lashed out at, which we've now seen in news media too, about masking and rules and just everything. And he talks about the language he uses, which is why kind of I wanted to bring this article to everybody and talk about it with you, Tova, is he talks about the perfect storm of having lived in isolation, many of us, for the last year and a half. And we have very thin, in his words, brake pads you know, that's like the covering on right. top of your brakes. We don't right. we don't have that. So we're less tolerant. We're more cruel. We're more impatient. And I think I'm wondering, Tova, like one, just how you're doing with all of this. Like where where are you at and what's troubling you? What's giving you grounding, if anything? Is there anything that's working for you? How are you thinking about all of this, all these challenges? How are you helping your children? How are you doing in moments? Like what are you doing in moments of pain and struggle and suffering and uncertainty? Yeah, I I, I really love that brake pad analogy because I think that it's really true. And I feel that in myself, in my patience level, in interactions on a daily basis, but particularly surrounding my children, whether that's towards a school or an extracurricular activity or another set of parents, or if it's surrounding 
I don't know, I'm trying to think of all the things, camps or even just being in the world, like at the park, you know, let's say, right? I feel like I'm sort of on the defense or the offense at the same time, you know, to use a different analogy, wanting to protect my own children, of course, from everything really, of course, and then also wanting them to simultaneously be able to live and exist in this world, whatever the new normal is. I don't know what normal is. I don't know if we ever... We'll go back to whatever what was, right? Once was, but like certainly normal in the sense that there is enrichment happening in their lives. And I have deep concern for my own children and really for children in general, who I think in many ways have, I mean, every everyone's struggled during this pandemic time, but there is something so... <sighs> I like want us to build a society around children. I mean, I think we've talked about this offline and the pandemic has showed how children are just not at the forefront of our minds as a society in the way that we've reopened, in the way they've just gotten the brunt of a lot with a sacrifice for their childhood, really, which is quite painful to say out loud. And so I don't know if I have answers. I certainly feel like something that's been really helping me is, well, first of all, noticing my own pattern in this. So my own pattern is to initially go into freak out. Like my brake pads go completely off and I'm wheeling down that large steep hill. And I am like, holy shit, what are we going to (laughs) do? Kids are staying home. We're wrapping you in bubble. You know, that's my instinct. And then I go into a place of anxiety with trying to make a decision on things, whatever that decision is, you know, can my kid continue at ballet indoors or do I need to pivot to outdoors? How do I pivot to outdoors? Do I have space for that? Can I find a teacher? Can I, can we financially afford it? Can we find other kids that are just as safe? All the questions that I'm sure all the parents here listening have had to go through on lots of different levels. And then also naming and understanding that like, I'm so lucky that I have flexibility and I can do it, you know, and all the things. But what I found is once making a decision, which like, rarely happens over here, as you know. But once it does happen, I am trying very hard, very, very hard to surrender to that decision. So the word surrender is what is coming to mind. When I worked in recovery, I found that getting to a place of surrender was one of the hardest steps for many of my clients and really for myself to just surrender and to say, my child is going to school I will not be able to control the circumstances at that school regarding COVID and Delta variant and also regarding other things regarding my kids' social, emotional, and play-based desire that I have, for instance, for them. Not that any of that is okay, but that is what it is. And that means I need to find a way to surrender. And so that is what I am leaning on these days. And I'm doing a lot of prayer and a lot of meditation. And I can't say that it's working 100%, but I can say that this stage in the pandemic, after so much upheaval and so many different phases and going through this in different ways at different times, I am getting better at it, we'll say. I love the notion of surrender because I think it's so hard, exactly what you said. Like, that's why I love it, because I feel like most things that are hard are worth doing to me. And it's so out of my character too. It's like, I want to control everything all the time. And so like being able to release that and say like, 
the reality is that I couldn't control things before. There was just like a facade of that. And so now I feel like what's been happening in the world, COVID, climate, geopolitical stuff, I just have just like, like you in a lot of ways, like I decided to surrender to the mess. Like it is a mess. But I, then I think I'm left with the question of like, what do I do with this mess that I have to live in and have to parent in and have to like try to leave some existence still going when they get older, which I think a lot about and really does keep me up at night. Something that I found, you mentioned prayer. So my kids have been away for my older two. So I've been with one child, which is the first time I've ever had that experience because I had twins first. So I never, never parented one. And and honestly, like I have to say, like, I have much less compassion for people who complain about one child. I have a lot more time, just frankly. And so I've been trying to focus my mornings on like really attending to my needs. One of them is a regular prayer practice. And something what does I, that look like for you? Yeah, oh, so sorry, I don't no, mean to no, interrupt. No, 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 you didn't. No, it wasn't. You didn't interrupt. So what? What I've been doing is like it's it's like the only time of day at like six a.m. where it's not too hot for me outside, and we have like a tiny little stoop by our front door, and I often let my littlest Zeke watch a show, and I step outside on the stoop, and I wrap myself in the traditional garments of Jewish prayer. But something I've done differently. A talis, you mean a talit? Yeah, a talit and tefillin and phylacteries. (laughs) Um, And something I've done that I don't usually do is I pray out of a sidur that's from the communities of North Africa, Mm. you know, Morocco, Tunisia, Sephardic communities, Spain. And there's a line in there. The reason I'm telling you this whole thing is because I, I get to, I, I actually, I use the Cdor on my phone and I get to pick from like which community I pray from. Yeah. And there's a line inserted in one of the prayers that says something like, I'm going to not get it exactly right, but it says something like God mends the world by placing light in it. Mm. It's in the paragraph, Tova, that you know, and maybe some of our listeners know called Ahava Rabbah. Mm-hmm. So it's in the paragraph right before that, that leads into that, the paragraph about light. And it's not in the prayer book that I've used for, you know, the many decades that I've now prayed from usually. And so it's really, it really hit me. And I, I, I've been using it as a mantra. And the mantra is, if I am godly, my job is to sow light into the world. Like I also have to mend the world with light. So when I feel that, powerlessness, that fear. And and I I feel really afraid. Not as much that my children are going to get COVID, though, of course, I'm afraid like everybody else is afraid. But more like, what is the, what is this existence that we're living in? As you noted, we're like, children can't really be at the center. Their needs, their emotional needs can't really be at the center. We're like, I'm not sure what's going to happen in a climate that's doing what it's doing. I I just don't know where are we going to be safe. And these existential questions make me feel really afraid, like really, really afraid and in a way that I don't normally feel and powerless. And I find that this line, this single line, if I can just, and I'm doing this now, even though our listeners can't see this, I'm closing my eyes. I can just see that line in my mind's eye. I'm able to focus on that day or that morning on that those acts. Like what is it that I can be doing to bring, to mend light into the universe? And when I think of that, it feels like, oh, right. Like I know how to do that. I, I know how to do that. I don't know how to fix a climate crisis. I don't know how to like solve mothers throwing babies over fences at the airport to save them in Afghanistan. I don't know how to ensure my children live in existence that feels emotionally safe and healthy. I But I can pick one thing in my day or one act that brings more light into the world and perhaps maybe 
in doing that, I bring myself like a little more peace. Do you know what I mean? Like a, yeah, just no, a little it, more. It really resonates. I really love that line. So I would love for you to share that with me later. And I just think like all, it doesn't take away for me at least, like any of the questions, like, Mm -hmm. but then I can ask myself, like I can frame everything. Like when I, when my kids are struggling or in pain or suffering, when they come back from camp or when Zeke expresses a worry, I try to use that as like the guiding principle, not because it necessarily tells me, like you said, like whether I should do an indoor class for my child or not, which is its own challenge, of course, but like in the more existential way, like, is this, is this a moment that I can sow more light into this experience for them? Or how how do I sow more light into this moment from our family or for my community of, you know, j- people who I rabbi to? Or And I'm trying to focus on that because I don't know what else to do. And you know how brake pads, like you can try to ignore them, but if you do, you get to the rotor and then you're in big trouble because it's like a much bigger problem. Now you're going into like spheres I don't understand, but yes, I trust you on that. This is why it's such a good metaphor because we've, I think for so long, ignored so much of this. I mean, not COVID because we didn't have, we were forced to deal with it, but all the things that led to COVID, like we were, we just ignored a lot of things. And I think like when you ignore things, the problems just get bigger. And so trying to focus on small tasks, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, it really resonates. And I've been thinking a lot about how the small tasks actually have not been my focus this year in a way that I think that they used to be. I think I used to really be a mindful individual when it came to, you know, that Desmond Tutu quote, do a little bit of good where you are and those little bit of goods put together will overwhelm the world. I feel like I actually really lived by that from a lot of my life. And I kind of stopped at some point. And I think the pandemic sort of heightened that. And I've been this week been doing that. I mean, I was just, I went to, to get a dental cleaning, which I hadn't done in a long time, you know, COVID and life and all the things I hate. I don't like going to the dentist. Yeah, I'm with you. But you know, when I went, like, I realized the times that I've seen them recently, I have not asked how they are. I have not said hello. (laughs) Like I really have been in fear, we'll say. So it's like, don't talk, wear your, like, wear your mask as much, like, like all the things that maybe some of us, maybe not everyone, but I experience being in the world and a situation that feels more vulnerable than not. I go inward, right? And for some reason, just yesterday, I was just able to sort of get out of that. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because I've been doing the serenity prayer every day. Do you know the serenity prayer? Yes, I do. Yeah. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Like, I don't know, like, if that's what did it, but I was able to get out of my head then. And I was able to, I don't know, talk to my dentist and how their children are out of the house now and how hard a year it's been for the hygienist with their own children and coming to work in this vulnerable position during a pandemic. And I felt really good, I have to say. (laughs) And listeners, let me tell you, like we all know, both Eliana and and I know (laughs) that this doesn't always happen, right? Like we're in moments like everyone else where, you know, we're not living by these things all the time. Obviously we're human, but I will say that it's, it's made a big difference. The little small increments, like when you're in a moment with someone, it's possible for the moment to be ridden with anxiety and fear and therefore disconnection. And there's the possibility for us to actually be 
connected in the moment. And and I think that maybe maybe we're in a new phase of the pandemic where we're finally learning that lesson. And maybe that's going to transform how we parent, how we teach, how we how we move through the world this year as we really fully re-enter with our kids, it seems like. Yeah. And I, I want that for like uh, for, for each of us and also for our listeners mostly. I think it's very easy to fall into this pit of despair. Okay. Anything else, Tova, that you want to say here before we move on? I was just feeling when you were talking, I was like, I wonder what it looks like because I'm asking myself this to, as, as Eliana beautifully brought in, like to find that light in the moment. And I think that within itself is a spiritual practice, I, I guess. 100%. So yeah, we're with you. And we're with yeah. you on that. And you're not alone. That's also For like, sure. <laughs> I want you to feel we want you to feel that both in the work, like when it feels like you don't want to do any of that, you want to just crawl under your covers and go in your room and close the door and be safe from all of this. We're we're in those moments too. And we're with you on the journey to try to find a little bit of light, even though that can be impossibly hard some days. Okay, a bit of wisdom. Okay, Tova to go into our week. Sure. That's okay. It. Yeah. Adrian Rich, the poet. Yeah. The poet and the writer beautifully wrote in a poem called Perspective Immigrants. Please note, either you will go through this door or you will not go through. If you go through, there is always the risk of remembering your name. Things look at you doubly and you must look back and let them happen. If you do not go through, it is possible to live worthily, to maintain your attitudes, to hold your position to die bravely. But much will blind you, much will evade you. At what cost, who knows? The door itself makes no promises. It is only a door. I've been thinking a lot about doors because it, it's not exactly the same image, but we, we're, we're upon the high holiday season in the Jewish calendar, and we use the image of a gate, a closing and opening gate, to think about the movements that we make towards bettering ourselves during this season. So I love this image that she uses of the door. And I also love the like, either you will go through the door or you will not. The like, it's up to you what the next move that you make is. And there's no promise when you walk through a door to like try something new or do something new or try to be different in a relationship or any like liminal space that you're in whatever that is, whatever change you want to make, because this, after all, is the season of change, the the gate of change, Sha'ar Hachuva, which I don't know, I hate the translation repentance. I like to think of it as a gate of turning and changing. And I think her question is like the question of the day for those of us who are marking this calendar, or even if you're not, but you want to join us on this journey of this calendar cycle, which is the the question of like, can I change in ways that help me to become a better version of myself? And do we want to hold fast to what we are holding fast to? Or are there things that we need to let go of? And this notion that like, trying to be different, like recognizing the things in our life that need to be different and not seeing them as a flaw, but seeing them as something that can bring us great happiness, like that we could work on this and it will be good instead of it being bad to me is that door. Like we all are at the door and we can open the door and walk through and try to make some changes or we can close the door and just go back to exactly who we were yesterday. And I'm holding that, that like capacity to open a door and close a door and walk through a door and make that choice and not seeing it as some sort of flaw when I say I'm not living up to the best version of myself as a spouse 
or as a parent or as a child or as a rabbi or as a human. That's not just about being limited. That's actually about like trying to grab onto joy and happiness to like become the best version of myself. And that's the door that I think Adrian Rich is speaking of. The door that an immigrant walks through when they're trying to seek a better life is the door we all want to walk through when we are trying to seek a better life. And it's very, very hard. And there are no promises for it is only a door, as she says. But I think when we walk through it, the the joy and happiness that we can experience that is possible can be so powerful and so enlightening. And I'm really, I'm, I'm wanting to do that so very much to walk through that door. Beautiful. I love that image of the door. And I, I'm going to hold on to that for this week. And I hope it helps everyone out there as well. So thank you so much for being here. It's been a real treat. Uh, listeners, thank you for continuing to support us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, etc. Please give us a rating on Apple and even a comment and subscribe. It would mean so much to us. Uh, you can follow us and find us at Not Your Jewish Mother Pod, where you can also ask us questions. We are so excited for the season. And just as a note, we're going to start the season off doing this every other week, just as the high holiday season is just super busy for us. And so we're looking forward to being together with you, wishing you a week filled with courage, hope, and love. Take care.